This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. We are here to become better habitat managers. As always, I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and I am happy to be back with you guys in another great episode here of the podcast. We're winding down 2021. Today is uh, New Year's Eve, and wow, what a year. Um, I just want to thank all of the listeners for coming and supporting the podcast this year in 2021. We're going to try to blow it up even bigger in 2022. Got some changes coming along, some new things that should promote some growth. Um, so if you have any uh, you know, feedback you'd like to provide, please do so, but uh you know, buckle up. We got another great year of free content, another 50-something episodes coming your way here in 2022. So just thank you, listeners, for your support. Uh, we're going to continue this on and, and take this thing to the moon, as I always like to say. So today, our podcast, we have longtime listener slash land plan client slash friend of mine, Chris Jones, out of western Nebraska. Guys, this is a unique one. Uh, Chris lived in the Denver area for years, owned some property in western Nebraska. We're talking a small chunk, 20-something acres here. And with with our help, but mostly his own help, he's created a habitat mecca out there amongst a sea of wide openness. So it's pretty cool. We talk about Chris's first property, um, some different flooding techniques he used for waterfowl. We talk about planting bird seed as a cover crop slash food plot. We talk about the different transitions he made to his second property, um, bedding in cedar rows, uh, pond management. We talk about how he created a pond. He's a very resourceful guy, uh, so I think there's a lot of good tips that can come from this episode. People who want to do things I guess you could say on a budget or just more creatively out of the box, I like to say. And Chris is a great guy. He's a he's a killer, too. Uh, you should see his whitetail wall. Um, but this property we're talking about today is, is, again, under 30 acres in western Nebraska. There's pheasant talk, mule deer talk, antelope, whitetail. It's a very cool chat, and we're happy to bring it to you here at the Habitat Podcast. So thanks, uh, Chris, for hopping on and always being a longtime supporter of the show. Now, before we get into that, guys, I want to... Tell everybody uh, we are going to be testing out a new hosting platform here in 2022 uh, with the Waypoint TV guys. 
trying to host our podcast on their stuff, um, on their website and app and Roku app and all that good stuff, Waypoint TV. So you'll be hearing a couple new things throughout the show. We're trying to promote some growth here and see what happens there. So stay tuned for that. I want to thank you to all the land plan clients. I am about booked up for 2022 already. Uh, we've had a lot of interest, and I don't want to take on too many jobs to where, you know, we want to keep things high quality, high focus, and make sure we, we get this done in a timely manner for our clients. And um, we're about full up around, you know, the Michigan, Indiana, Ohio areas. Um, so if you are looking for anything here locally, please reach out sooner than later. And uh, we also have our team of managers in the other states, so we have Northeast Pennsylvania, which covered the the east side. We have uh, Pittsburgh, Brian over there in Pittsburgh, going down to West Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky. We have um, Phil in Southern Indiana, covering some of the Midwest. We have Jesse in Iowa, covering that side, the west side of things. We have Zach up in Wisconsin, guys. So if you're not in Michigan, don't worry. We can get one of our land managers on the ground at your property with you. Uh, not just a digital plan, but boots on the ground, quote-unquote, what we call our tour plan. So, again, if you want to reach out, go to HabitatPodcast.com slash land plans. There's a link in the show notes below to this podcast. You can scroll right down, find it, set us up there. We'd love to get you on a, on the right path and a better direction for your habitat and hunting. You know, becoming better habitat managers, create better habitat, get you better hunting, all the above, fill your goals and uh, just make you a more satisfied landowner. So those are our land plan services for today. Um, I also want to talk about Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction. Now, Chad has been a sponsor of the show for a couple years now, and the real estate market is not slowing down. But I wanted to talk about his Facebook page today. If you're not following Chad's Facebook page, I would go there, like it, and follow it right now. It's Realtree United Country Land Pro. Lake States Realty and Auction. Just type in Realtree United Country Land Pro, it'll pop up. Um, there's all kinds of good resources on there. Chad is talking over some Illinois farm land prices that are just astronomical right now. There's an article up there about that. There's also an article that he shared on the demise and potential revival of the American chestnut. So as you can, as you're hearing, there's beneficial information that would relate to us habitat managers and landowners on this Facebook page. There's also a recent listing um, that the seller will now entertain a land contract. So that is a piece there in St. John's, Michigan, a very nice deer piece, and the seller will also entertain a land contract now. So there's updates going on to chance listings. Um, another one here uh, looks like in Walkerville, Michigan, another great price reduction on this piece of property. Looks like a great deer spot as well. So check them out, Real Tree United Country Land Pro on Facebook. Give them a follow and uh, tell them Habitat Podcast sent you. I also want to thank Morse Nursery. As you know, guys, we're placing orders as a Morse Nursery dealer here at the podcast. Uh, have some great orders coming in so far. We're looking to get you guys reserved for your items here in 2022. Want to make sure that you guys don't have inventory issues, don't have, you know, any last-minute problems. So we're getting that done. Email me, info at habitatpodcast.com. If you're interested in ordering some Morse trees, I can get you a solid discount uh, as a Morse dealer, now more than I could before. And then I want to give it over to Frank here. Frank's going to tell us about his tree survival kits, and then we're going to get into uh, the podcast. So I want to thank Packer Max, Cult of Packers, Killer Food Plots, the Habitat Hook, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com, Morse Nursery, Afflictor Broadheads, and Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. Let's hear about those survival kits from Frank, and we'll get right into it with Chris in Nebraska. Hey guys, this is Frank from Morse Nursery here to talk to you about tree protection. Have you ever wondered how to best protect your trees, not only from wind, deer pressure and browse, but also protecting from drought and even weeds? Well, we have that solution here at Morse Nursery for you, and it's our tree survival kit. If you add the tree survival kit on to your tree order, 
for only $10, we will guarantee that tree order for an entire year because we know you've taken the right steps to protect it. Again, go to www.morsnursery.com and add some free survival kits to your order. All right, guys, we're back. We have Brian Hallbly, the Pennsylvania killer, back on the show as always. Brian, what's going on? Wrapping up another year, buddy. It's hard to believe. Had a great Christmas. Uh, had some family in town from out of state, as as you did as well. And uh, heading back to the lease tomorrow. Going to do some hunting for a couple days with Corey. He's going to come down for a few days. So, yeah, a lot of excitement, a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Good time of year, and uh, ATA is right around the corner. Yes, sir. Glad to hear. Glad to hear you had a good holiday, and uh, you know, good luck this weekend. I know. Bunch of tags still left to fill on that lease, you know, Absolutely. so got some bucks going up. Wish I could be there. Good luck. I hope you guys whack one. Um, speaking of a guy who's already whacked one, we got Mr. Chris Jones on the line from Nebraska. How you doing, Chris? Doing good. How are you? Doing good. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for hopping on here. Yeah, no problem. Well, I, I've told you guys it's an honor to, to be asked to do this because you've had some absolute hammers on it. And for me to, you know, even I hope I can fill a portion of those shoes that some of those guys have done. Well, I'm sure you'll do just fine. Uh, we've been talking, you and I and Brian, for a couple of years now. You've been a big fan of the show for a while. Um, thank you for, for your listenership and loyalty. And and then, you know, also you've, you're a Habitat nut like the rest of us. I mean. Um, absolutely. I, I eat and sleep it every day and, and. And to be able to walk out my front door now and, and to be able to see it, you know, and, and see these creations that I come up with is, is pretty amazing. Well, that's kind of what got my attention. You do some things, I don't want to say out of the norm, more out of the box, more more creatively, right? You're resourceful. Um, and it caught my attention with a couple of different things you do. And then, you know, we also can't skip over the fact that you hired us on to do a land plan for your your new farm in Nebraska. So, you know, we've been friends with you and talking with you for a while now. I thought, you know what, we need to get Chris's perspective on the show. So why don't you start us off, tell us who you are, where you're from, all that good stuff, and then we'll get into, you know, your first property and, and go from there. Sure. Sounds great. I Chris Jones is my name. I'm uh, 45 from I was born and raised in central Iowa, uh, had some influences when I was real young, uh, family and friends that, you know, used to take me hunting and fishing. And, and um, you know, I had a mom that, that really, you know, the lake was my babysitter on the Saturday because she was a beautician in, in, in town. And, and you know, in the world now, and, and uh, you know, but that, that uh, I found my way to, to, in my teens to southern Missouri um, and then in about 2002 um, I, my dad was working on a ranch here in Colorado and and, um, and I came out to help him and ended up getting a job with the water district where I just retired this past spring from um, put in 20 years there and and uh, talked my wife into moving to Nebraska of all places and, and um, so now I I find myself here, and, and I wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way. I get to hunt and fish, and and um, like I said, I look right out my front door and, and see the critters that I love right right in my front yard. So it's pretty awesome. Very nice. And you're in um, Western Nebraska, not too far from Colorado, right? That's right. We're only like 12 miles from Colorado, um, which is is plenty close enough. Um, you know, I, after 20 years on the front range, you know, to come out here and be able to stretch your arms and, and not touch somebody is pretty is pretty awesome. Yeah, good point with that. And and my brother, he was just in town. Uh, he left about 20 minutes ago to go to the airport, head back your way. Um, he said something earlier this week. Do you Colorado guys call it Colorado? Is it actually pronounced Colorado? Yeah, Colorado. Yeah, auto. Gotcha. Like an automobile, I guess, as Johnny Cash would say. <laughs> gotcha. Perfect. Just want to make sure I get that straight. So, sure. Yeah, I I think him often because you know I that other farm that I deer hunt on is only about 15 miles from him, and and um, 
you know, and I don't I don't know if I'm going to go back there anymore um, just because of the chaos that, that the front range is now. And and I was there for a couple of days hunting, and, and it just didn't – I wanted to get back home, you know. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure he gets a hold of you soon. Um, sure. Now, you – you're in Nebraska, but this isn't your first Nebraska property. You had another one prior, and we were about to do a land plan for that one, and you're like, hold up. I'm thinking I'm going to sell this one and buy a different one, and, and that did indeed happen. But let's hear about your first property, and tell us a little bit about your habitat journey there. Um, how big was it? What you what you set it up for? How long did you have it? All that good stuff. And then we'll get into the current property you're on now. Sure. So... You know, that, that property uh, I bought in about 2016, um, I found it on Craigslist. Uh, it was a four-bedroom house, kind of, you know, it's obviously out in the country, and um, for $40,000. And so I, I, we went and looked at it, and right as we're driving in, there's 200 turkeys standing in the front yard. And I told my wife, I said, I'm sold. I don't, I don't have to see anything else. You know, it was a little 1.2 acres. It was what happened is they sold off the, all the tillable farm ground and they left an old man to, to this little house out in the middle of a mile section. And so I bought it just to, just to have some place to go and get away from that front range chaos. And, and, um, you know, and, and there for the first few years, I, I, my family didn't want to come up there and, and they didn't, you know, it was, it was just me and, and occasionally a buddy. And, you know, and, and uh, so the more I came up here, the more I got to know the neighborhood and the people, the more I really started falling in love with the people. And, and that's that's why I spend a lot of time up here, you know, and I got a lot of private permission around there and that sort of thing. Well, um, and, and in about 2017, then, um, I, I was able to save up enough cash. I bought 10 acres to join it um, from a neighbor. Um, and, and, you know, and I paid a premium for that land. I thought, well, you know, if I really want it, you know, I'm going to have to throw a number at him that I'm going to get, you know, um, because it did have a Quonset hut on it too. And, and, um, you know, a big 30 by 50 Quonset with a concrete floor nowadays is, is a lot of money. And so, you know, I, I gave him that number and ended up buying it long story short, um, and one of the first things I did on that piece was I put in a flooded wetlands. Um, I had a dozer come in, and I and I put um, about well, I don't know, three thousand dollars in dozer work in building a levee, and and I would I would take water and and I, I was able to plant my food plot in that in, kind of in this acre and a half, um, and and then flood it and and shoot mallards on it. Um, that was kind of a Kind of a neat deal. Um, and then I, I built a, a five man, two level goose pit right on the side of it. Um, and, and that was kind of where I got to, you know, kind of one, was one of my first major projects there. Um, and, and did some other things with it. Uh, you know, like had, I worked pheasants forever to plant about 1200 trees, um, cedar trees and, and American plum and crab apple and, some other things like that. So, um, you know, that was that was kind of a fun little project to get started there. And then as time went on, I got more and more into um, habitat management. So, you know, I started planting more food plots, and and um, and I ended up going back to that neighbor, and I asked for another 10 acres, um, and and they, you know, they they went in and sold me another 10 acres. So the whole farm. Uh, total over there is 22 acres including the wetlands so walk us through the uh levy that you that you put in there and did you have help from uh any state or federal organizations with that or uh, a local contractor no I, I i hired a local contractor to bring his dozer in um and he built about a three-foot levy just the way that the land laid um i kind of engineered it myself um, it was kind of a flat pasture piece of property that laid right on the creek, and I was able to build that levee uh, right on the – basically on the creek. Um, the natural flow of the land was from north to south down to that creek, and I was able to catch a lot of the irrigation water off the surrounding fields, and that's that's kind of what I used to, to flood that. 
um, until later on when I, I had a well put in, but I didn't, I didn't get any, any, um, federal or state money for that piece of it. No. Okay. And as far as, uh, what you planted the flood, what kind of crops did you put in there and why? So of all the things that I came up with, um, I came up with Ace Hardware Bird Food, which is, uh, you know, and, and I, I came up with this idea, and I, I went around to all the different hardware stores and feed stores, and I looked through the bags um, until I found a mix that I, I liked. And the one thing that I of Ace Hardware brand bird food was that it had a whole kernel corn in it versus crack corn um, that would naturally be a filler um, on, on most any, you know, uh, any, so it would take up space and not, not provide any plant to grow. Well, that first year, um, I planted it and had some advice from a, from a NRCS agent. Uh, he told me 12 pounds the acre. So I did that. And that first year, it got almost four feet tall and had heads probably as big around as a softball. Um, so I, that kind of, you know, started, started that idea. And then, um, you know, I would get to where I would flood that. Um, I had a well put in later on and, and that sort of thing, but I would, I would flood it right up to the tops of the millet and, and the, the mallards would just pile in there. So you yeah. said, you said bird seed, right? Yeah, the actual bird food, like what grandma puts in her bird feeder. <laughs> and, and what mix did you go around searching and, and finding, um, for you to, to try to do? Like, I haven't looked that closely at some of the bird seed that I put out in my feeder, but I'm wondering, you know, how long did it take you and what type of plants are in that mix? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, at first I really didn't know what I was looking for. I just, I, you know, I was, I, I noticed there was some sorghum and millet and wheat, corn, sunflowers, you know, the black coal sunflowers. There was quite a bit of those in there. And, and, uh, and there's looking at it now. I mean, it's it's pretty much a five to seven way mix, depending on you know what what your feed store, or hardware store owns, um, or what the you know what they want in in their bag. Um, it's it's all mixed in the in the same factory, um, not too far from my current house. Um, and since then, it's kind of ironic. I run into a lady. Uh, I drive a school bus for a living, and, and I call her daughter on the school bus. Well, she is the shipping and packing lady for this bird, bird food company. And uh, so she brings me all the, the broken bags now, um, which is a pretty neat deal because I don't have to go to Ace Hardware Store. But, you know, I've, I've, quite, I've kind of inquired about how it's all made and that sort of thing is kind of interesting. But um, it's all, you know, it's all done in the same factory. It's it's the same exact seed. Um you know, it, it is what it is, and and um, you know, you just you just just kind of find a mix that you like and, and plant it. I mean, it's it, it's an easy throw and grow type method. Um, you know, and, and you can you can make it as extravagant of a mix as you want. I mean, I I just use it as a base mix, and then I might put peas with it, or I might put oats with it, or you know, sedan grass, or you know. I can I can add some whatever I want. It's just a base, really really inexpensive mix. So when you texted us, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, about using that, I, I was really skeptical to be honest with you. And then you sent us a couple of pictures, and I says, well, that answers those questions. And uh, the interesting thing, the reason why I was skeptical, because it's it's not a certified seed. You know, we've talked about that before. Um, sure. There's a possibility that it's not cleaned as well as, you know, the, the certified seed is, and there could be some potential problems with that. But, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Uh, your results have been amazing, and uh, I'm definitely going to try it one of these days for sure. 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 It's, it's, a, it's a pretty, you know, I've, I've always kind of thought outside the box maybe a little bit with my habitat management and, and including my my implements. Um, and, and you guys had a guy on not too long ago that was talking about the implements he created, and and I'm kind of that same type of guy. I like to come up. My my roller's got a 55 gallon sprayer attached to the top of it, so I can I can terminate and and um, and spray in the same pass. Um, so it's it's 
but like this birdseed deal, it's, you know, on our new farm, I just planted six acres of alfalfa, chicory, and clover mix. Um, but I needed something to go from May to the fall. Um, so I did it all in birdseed. And that's, that's those pictures that I sent you was, was that, um, I waited till it all headed out and then I turned, you know, broadcast into that standing crop and terminated that with my roller sprayer and, and it just did a phenomenal job. So opening new plots and that sort of thing, it works really, really good. So are you mostly throwing and growing that or do you drill it at all in certain areas? Nope. Yeah, I, I haven't drilled any of it. It's all been throw and grow. Um, okay. You know, the, the, you know, depending on the time of year that, and, and the moisture is really the, the deciding factor of how good it does. Um, if you can get a rain right, like do it right in front of a rain, you know, and you can drive those little millet and sorghum seeds down into the ground, I mean, it'll, it'll come up and, and, and really proficient. So how about, um, as far as your, your lack of rain out there, is there any soil prep or any, any special ways that you have to go about preparing the soil for that? Well, years in, years in the past, I mean, the, the old school thinking was you had to till every year and, and do that sort of thing. And, and you know, you, you watch all these videos and guys are, are got their tiller out and they're tearing everything up. And um, that's, that's one thing you can't do out here. And, and this took me a long time to learn because, um, you know, with only 14 inches of annual rainfall, uh, you, you want to try to protect that little bit of topsoil that you have and not sure. try anything. So, um, you know, and, and what I've found more so, you know, uh, or more beneficial than anything is is uh, kind of doing the regenerative ag type approach um, and using like this bird food crop as a, as a spring crop and then terminating going into the fall for your fall food plots. It's, it's, that's, that's the way that I've been doing it here lately. And now my disc and all my all my implements they just kind of sit and rust because I don't use them anymore. You said 14 inches annually. That is that is not very much rain. Um, Yeah. What are you normally planting them besides this mix when you're doing you know your food plots or? uh... Sure. I I. I've come up with some wacky ideas. Like I did double row dry land corn. Um, put basically I put both my my row units on one side of the toolbar, and then as I would turn and go the opposite direction, I would lay a six foot. Um, there would be a six foot width um, between the rows of that double row corn, and I was in between that I'd plant. Uh, it's an oats brassica uh, pea mix with some buckwheat in it. It uh, comes from um, one of the seed companies here in, in western Nebraska. But um, my advice is that when you have really lo- low rainfall like we do is is buy your seed, you know, fairly locally because those guys are, are you know, you know, they really like to or, or they really know a lot about the, the seed that, that's in their area um, versus buying, say, from, you know, the – East Coast and bringing it out here just doesn't work as good. Sure, sure. No, great advice, great advice. And I think the regenerative ag and the the rolling and spraying that's all huge to keep your you know your your moisture retention. So kudos to you for figuring that out and getting it done. Um, let's move into your your second property where you live now. So you're out of Colorado. You moved to Nebraska for good. Um, yep. Let's hear about this property. Well, this 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 spot. Well, so I back up just a little bit. My my wife and my daughter wouldn't go to that farm. They, the old farmhouse just kind of creeped them out. And so I did a lot of uh, tried to do some home improvement stuff to get them to come up. And uh, on a there was a rainy Saturday. I talked them into going up with me, and and um, I was up here all the time anyway. Every every weekend I was up here. Three, drove three hours and. And I'd spend the weekend with my little boy, and we'd we'd go back home to reality. And and uh, but anyway, so we happened to be looking at a at a 
I was looking on my phone at properties nearby, and and lo and behold, this 27-acre farmstead was up for sale not too far away. So we jumped in the pickup and ran over here, and lo and behold, my wife just falls in love with the house, and 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 as much love as she had for the house, I had for the land. Um, the, the, it was a used to be an old hog farm. And so there was a lot of outbuildings and grain bins, and, and along with that was there was some obvious uh, programs in the past, <clears throat> excuse me, that would provide trees. So it had a lot of big mature cedar trees on it. And the the, the what the other farm was lacking was cover. This farm had, and that's something that I really wanted. And and so you know my wife just. She wouldn't leave me alone about this place, you know, and and um, so I finally said, you know, I'll sell the other Llewellyn place and we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll buy this place, and that's kind of how it all came to be. And and, um, and and how long of a time frame do you think that was over when you first saw it? Your wife fell in love with it. You you know you you went and decided you're gonna sell your other one, and then you got the new one. How long did that take place over? Uh, about five months. Okay. Um, we we first found it, and, and because of a, the situation with us, you know, we owned another home as well, and and we had to get that home sold, which in this market is is fairly easy to do. Um, and then I had to retire from my job, and and Easton had to get out of school and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it, it took about five months to actually move in. I mean, you know, that was that was from. Pulling up stakes and moving and everything was five months. But, you know, as far as the real estate transaction, it went pretty quick. Sure, sure, gotcha. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the aerial on your on your new one right now. We did the plan on it. And you said this has cover. Your other one didn't. I mean, in this general area of Nebraska, there's not a lot of cover, is there? I mean, you no, move out. No, no the, the, the most – the most cover there is, you know, if you can, probably isn't going to reach your shoelaces, you know. Or, I mean, it's it, the the only time there is any real cover out here for miles and miles is when the corn, when the dryland corn is in. Um, and what happens out here is is, you know, six months a year when the crops are in, the deer are scattered and they just they just have the run of wherever they want to live, you know. But as the as the habitat dwindles down, then they're forced to move into the tree rows and and the the you know the habitat that that these farmsteads provide for windbreaks and and for you know um, just I just right in the yard. I mean they'll 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 bed behind your bushes in your off your front porch, just looking for something to hide behind in these windy days. Wow. And so. All the like when you said program was this place in a program before of some sort? Do you know? Well, it, yeah. So I, I had a bit of a history lesson with the um, the local NRCS or NRD guy, and he, you know, over the years, as as a lot of farmers do, they look for every penny that they can possibly get, um, and and if if NRD wants to pay them to um, you know, plant a hedgerow or a tree row, and and give them a few hundred dollars a year. They'll they'll do that, and that's I think that's what happened here was there's just random tree rows, you know, everywhere, and and now you know they've been so unmanaged over the years that you know now they're just big big jungles, you know, and that's that's one of the things that I've been working on lately is is you know you had a guest on Dr. Greg, Craig Harper that. That talked about getting uh, sunlight to the ground and and killing out, um, you know, your grass and trying to promote um, weeds and that sort of thing. So that's one of the things I've been doing is cutting the tree rows out. You know, not not taking the entire tree row, but between the tree rows and and cutting the inside limbs on the cedars and and trying to make habitat pockets in there, bedding pockets to allow those deer to get in there and hide, you know, um, so they don't have to climb through a jungle. Um, and and it's, it's worked really, really good. 
Okay, so what type? What else is on this place? What type of habitat are you seeing? Not between the the cover where you talked about, but what else is there? Um, you know, as as the blank slate when you pulled up. Sure. So one of the things that caught my eye was that being an old hog farm, there was an old manure pit um, that was um, roughly about a half an acre, probably in size, um, and. One of the things I did on my old farm was I took advantage of um, the, the co-ops here put grain in what they call grain bags. They're a big white tube. You've probably seen them on the side of the road. They're a, they, they store their grain in them. It's like a 10 mil tarp. Um, and then when they remove that grain, they um, destroy this bag, and it basically makes like a 40-foot by 300-foot tarp. And the, the co-op doesn't do anything with them but recycle them. Um, so I, I went and talked to the co-op about them, and they said, yeah, you can have all, you know, everything you want. So one of the things I did uh, is, is I uh, took my skid loader, and I ripped out about 18 inches of dirt out of this manure pit, and I laid these tarps out in a, a you know, kind of a crisscross pattern, um, because I had access to a lot of them, um, and and then backfilled over the top of that with 18 inches of dirt, um, and now I have a uh, you know a half acre pond in the middle of uh, the closest water source that I know of is seven miles away, um, and that's that's the actual closest wow. place that that uh, a deer could drink out of you know, and I'm sure there's probably places in people's farmyards, stock tanks and what have you, but as far as the natural pond the closest one is seven miles so do you have to uh do any uh maintenance as far as keeping that full with any well water or anything or does that stay pretty naturally wet all year round well so i had an inch rain in about october and that was granted we bought this farm in may so i did a lot of work on it over the summer um and i got that thing finished probably in september we had an inch of rain it got probably two and a half feet of water in it, and we haven't had a drop since. And it, uh, because of the way that it's kind of built, I guess it's a it's like a big popcorn bowl is what it looks like, if you can imagine okay. that. Okay, yeah. And, and every drop of water that falls in that thing just stays. I mean, it, there's no way that it can get out of that tarp. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. So uh, what do you see? Do you have any cameras over that? What type of use are you seeing out of that? Okay. So, you know, this this thing looks like a big popcorn bowl, and, and every drop of water that hits that thing just stays in it. It can't, you know, there's no holes in the tarp or anything like that. So it has to stay. The only way it can leave is evaporation. Um, one of the things that I felt like was important there was keeping it open during the winter. And I build a all-solar, battery-powered 12-volt uh, aerator system on that thing. I, I uh, use a koi pond aerator, a uh, couple deep cycle batteries, and a, and a um, solar panel is basically. I mean, it's it's a pretty easy system, but you know it stays open. And and those I I have pictures of both whitetails and mule deer uh, at at that pond every night. You know they the the only, you know, they do drink a lot of water out here, and, and I'm hoping in the next few years I get three to four feet at least, you know, in that pond. Right now there's probably 18 inches. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure you see a lot of uh, usage from waterfowl, too, with it being open. Yeah, yeah more so the pheasants. I mean, we have, you know, I we, we have a – I've got 10, 10 roosters that live in my front field. And right along the gravel road, and I think everybody that drives by that's a hunter stops in and asks me if he can go shoot them, you know. So, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's definitely you, Everybody always talks about the lowest hole in the bucket. Um, I think it's a little bit different with the with the, kind of look at it like a triangle, a food water cover triangle, and trying to establish what's, you know, what's what's most important on your, on your property. And for me, it's definitely water. Um, but I think I've covered that pretty good. Sure, sure. So as far as the uh, cedar row bedding, you said you're taking off some of the lower branches. Are you just letting that grow up naturally, getting sunlight to it? 
Or correct. are you planting something along there? Yeah, correct. I'm gonna. So what I'm gonna. My plan is this this year um, is to. I'm gonna these this. If you can imagine, there's there's the tree row is three trees wide or three rows wide, um, and it kind of makes a, a, a big kind of surrounds my property. I guess would be the best way to describe it. So what I'm gonna do is I have cut kind of a zigzag pattern back and forth between the the tree rows so that that a deer can't walk straight line through a tree row he's got a you know and then i what limbs i took out you know so i didn't have to drag them all the way out of the tree row i just packed them in there and made barricades you know so that a, a deer walks 15 yards and he hits a barricade and then he's got to go right he's you know he's got to jump over in the other tree row and I've been back and forth for the three or four hundred yards of tree row, and then I'm going to take my ATV disc every year and just disturb that soil, kind of a, a motocross track, for lack of a better term. Um, and and you know so that over the summer, then hopefully the sunlight will reach the soil and and use, utilize the seed bank that's already there. That you know I'm sure over the years it just never has seen enough light to ever germinate. So what's the uh, dominant species there in the seed bank for something like that? Uh, it's it's a weed called kochia weed. Um, it's 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 not, you know, it's just it's everywhere that that gets turned over. Um, it, it it's almost like a millet. Um, the pheasants just absolutely love it. Uh, it gets about four feet tall. It's it's kind of a horse weed. You guys in the Midwest would know it as horse weed um, or ragweed. That's that's kind of what it looks like. Okay, interesting. So when you're turning this uh, habitat that you're dealing with, you know, adding to the farm, getting getting more land. If it's if it's kind of like just plain egg, open ground, does that kind of depend on what your goals are? Are you going to try to turn it more into food, or are you going for more cover? Well, so. One of the things that is is lacking, my next, you know, lowest hole, hole in the bucket, as they say, is is definitely cover. Um, you know, you can see for miles out here. You know, and and uh, and they they just they can't they simply can't hide, and that's that's one of the one of the problems with with uh, our our really low deer numbers is they just you know they're too visible they they can't hide. So I just purchased another 28 acres from my neighbor, um, and, and in fact I'll close on that this week. But uh, one of the things that I'm going to do is uh, plant that all in my bird food mix for this this coming in fall. It's currently in wheat, um, and we'll get harvested in July. But it is my understanding that wheat gives off uh, some sort of a uh, toxin that won't allow other grass to grow for a period of time. So, <clears throat> you know, it, it'd be silly for me to go in there and plant alfalfa now. Um, I need to put something in between, you know, the time it comes out in July into the into the fall that I really don't care much about. Um, the the bird food I can plant for about three dollars an acre um, is what it costs me. Uh, after it's all said and done, um, you know that, and that's forty pounds bag. You know you can buy it on sale for twelve bucks. Um, you know ten to twelve pounds an acre, something like that. So um, I need to be able to put something in there that that I you know I don't care about, and I just need to put something on the land to to be able to to go into to plant my alfalfa then, and which would be the fall of twenty twenty three is when I'm going to plant that all in alfalfa. Because there again, our, our my local my closest alfalfa field is probably 15 miles away, and that okay. that you know that's one of the things that I picked up from you guys is is always look around and and see what you know what is lacking in your area, and and that's simply what I've done. Um, and and the alfalfa is just you know uh, it, it's it's a magnet for them. Um, there's there's times when I see my mule deer and my white tail standing in the same field you know they they just uh you know there's there's nothing around like it so 
Yeah, that's something to see for eastern hunters that haven't made the trip out west to see some of those big alfalfa fields just filled with, you know, dozens and dozens of deer. It's 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 something you don't get to see back east because we we have very limited visibility and and the deer numbers are kind of different in certain places. But that's definitely something to see for sure. So is there any? Um, yeah, yeah, you got antelope in that area too. Yeah, we have them in our yard quite frequently. Pretty cool. I bet. So when you're transferring this ag ground from wheat to the bird seed, is there any soil amendments that you make, any type of fertilizer or lime or anything like that? None, zero. I've never, I've never pulled a soil test on any of my properties. Um, I know, and that's that's you know, there's that's the the kind of the way it works. You know, that's what you've always been told. You know, and um, got that good prairie you know, soil there. Weed in, yeah, yeah, and I, you know, it, it'll grow wheat and 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 you know, corn and all that stuff. I've never the I I like I said, I've never pulled a soil test on it. Um, I, I figured if the professional farmers can grow, you know, those crops on on those pieces of property, then then I can grow my food plots. Um, you know, and and uh, you know, like moving in from wheat, um, it's it's just a perfect time. You know, you got all that fresh wheat patch on the on the ground, and and uh, be a be a perfect bed for my bird food plot. Chris, are you going to take any of that new ag field you bought? Um, by the way, is that to the south, or which direction is that? Uh, both to the to the east and west. Okay, and, and are you going to take any of that, that, maybe the edges of it? Are you going to plant any cover in there as well, switchgrass, or, or anything along those lines? What were your thoughts there? Yeah, so I took some advice of one of your past guests, Dr. Craig Harper, and, and I did some fall spraying with Roundup for glyphosate. Um, and and I planted 20 acres of caven or 20 pounds of caven rock, uh, switchgrass in those areas, uh, kind of and and made some bedding areas in in and around those cedar trees, um, as well as out on the road. You know, because one of the things that I mentioned earlier is is all these animals are so visible because of the open landscape. Um, you know, and, and a guy's really got to to give them a place to run and hide. Um, you know, so yes, I will, I'll be, I'm going to do some more tree rows. You know, tree rows are kind of, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're for the long term. Um, I'm, right now I need stuff for the short term. Um, so I, I'm going to use a little different mix than I have been with my bird food. Um, I'm going to do a third sorghum sedan grass, a third grain sorghum. And a third of my bird food, and that's what I'm going to plant to try to get some height and some cover out of, um, versus just having something that's knee high. Now I got something that's over my head, um, and I can vary that sorghum sedan grass mixture. You know, if closer up by the road, if I if I want, you know, taller cover, then then that's that's I just mix 50/50. That's that's the way I've been doing it. It's worked really good. Yeah, that sounds like a creative option. I think, um, I mean, do you, the the vehicles per square mile and pressure from surrounding properties in terms of wanting that cover, um, do you have any issue with that out that way? I know we're just lacking cover, period, but are there any issues with, um, you know, road hunters or, or things like that, or do some of the deer that you're, you know, hunting and, and working with, do they like to be out in the middle of those big wide open ranges for security purposes? Sure. The so the deer out here are different than than what you would see in the Midwest. You know, they're more of like an antelope. You know, they their first defense is their eyes, their second defense is their nose, and they always you know they'll see something and they'll circle downwind and and try to catch you know get the get your scent. But uh, but you know and and fortunately enough, this new farm is in a really good neighborhood. Um, with with everybody around, all my neighbors and stuff are big big farmers, and they do a lot of food plotting themselves. Uh, allow very very limited access. Um, so so the deer that that are in our neighborhood, you know, they might they'll visit my place, and then you know they'll they'll, they'll go over to the neighbor's place as well. 
but um, everybody's kind of on the same page um, as far as you know management of those deer and and uh, and and the same goes with with uh, watching for for trespassers and poachers. Everybody's got everybody's number, and and if there's a, a weird looking vehicle, you know, driving around, they sure they the the phone starts to ring. So um, I think that's that's a huge part of of uh, what we do is is having you know networking and and that sort of thing. Always is, always is, no matter what. Um, that's awesome. It's that that local feel and and uh, which I mean, obviously you guys are. So now, since this has all transpired, when did you purchase this new property again? How long ago? Yeah, we we closed on it in about March. We moved in full time in in May. Um, and and I did some you know a lot of habitat work in, on the weekends between there. Um, but now you know now we're there full time. But um, you know and and I've I've drastically saw the the wildlife numbers you know go through the roof. I mean I I have pheasants, I have bobwhite quail, I have mule deer and whitetails and antelope. You know aside from from the whitetail deer and the mule deer. You know, using our plots, we have we have antelope, we have elk, um, and one of my goals is to send you guys a picture of a big six-point bull elk standing in the middle of my alfalfa field in the middle of Nebraska, <laughs> and and I will make that happen at some point. <laughs> I look forward to that. I know uh, yeah, you've been sending us pictures of of your habitat successes, if you will, so far. Um, love love getting pictures from our clients, our friends, or even our listeners, whoever wants to send us in some of their successes, we love seeing that. Um, so you have whitetail and muley bucks showing up. You all, you always said like they don't hang around long, or, or maybe they didn't in the past, but they're hanging around a little longer now. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. And the main reason that they are is because of the water, um, okay. and and they you know, they're living there now. Because I think what happens is is out here is is so arid that you know they they have to go find a puddle or they have to you know, travel long distances to 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 be able to to find a water source. Um, and and in years past, you know, they would go down on the river um, and and live the winter out down on the river. I, I would assume for woody browse and for um, for water. And and this year. And, and granted, it's been pretty warm here uh, so far this year, and hasn't got bitter cold yet. But um, you know, I have definitely seen a lot more daytime buck activity and deer activity on my place. And and most of the, most of the time, it's it's them going back and forth to the pond. And what other successes would you say you're you're seeing so far out there on the on the new homestead? Yeah, you know. I, I see my my for the being the first year I I a lot of successes I mean it, it, it's worked out just like I wanted it to you know I I've, I've followed some instruction that some very very knowledgeable people on this awesome podcast that I listen to all the time and you know and, and I uh, you know I, there's a lot of things in the future that I that I want to do. Um, including including cover, but uh, you know the the successes that I've I've experienced this this year, I couldn't be more excited for. A lot of it had to do with your guys helping me with my land plan. Um, you know, I, I had an idea what I wanted to do. I just needed somebody to take a second look at it, and and um, you know, with your guys' help, I've definitely you know I've, it, it's been successful for all of us, not just me. Yeah, we shared uh, some pictures of your successful pheasant hunt with uh, some of our followers on social media. It's a pretty cool picture. You want to walk us through how that came to be, and you had some family in town over Christmas. Yeah, it was it was a great time. My 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 son came from Oklahoma. He's a big bird hunter, and he brought one of his buddies and his dad his his buddy's dad, and neither of those had ever been on a pheasant hunt and. So I saved. I knew how many birds I had on my property, um, and and I wanted to to save it just for that event. 
Um, and we, we jumped 10 roosters right off of, of my 22 acres and, and ended up shooting six of them. And, and, um, you know, we, we just had a great time. It was great to have the boys together. My, my six year old little boy that's a hunting little fool and then my 23 year old as well. And, and, uh, for them guys to be able to come out and do something like that, I mean, that, that is a testament to, you know, the, the effort, um, you know, that, that, you can you can walk miles and miles and and not bird and then you you walk 22 acres or 28 acres whatever my place is of uh, of habitat and and jump that many pheasants that just just goes to show how much this stuff works you know absolutely and uh, you had mentioned that you might let your son start deer hunting there did you get any deer hunting in on that property I I have and I I. I haven't seen a, a a buck that you know um, that I want to I want to take out yet. Um, there's you know the mule deer are just little four by fours and and the the uh, you know the white tail is probably a 120 inch eight point and and uh, you know he needs one more year and and that sort of thing. But like I said, I'm gonna start working over the does here pretty quick and we have a rifle season open January 1st and. And, uh, um, you know, if there's not something there that I'm interested in shooting, I'm going to start, I'm going to start taking out the nannies. And, uh, you know, so that's my plan here after January 1st is spend about two weeks to, of knocking them down with a gun. So would you say you have a, uh, pretty decent deer density there or is it on the high or low end? Oh, I'd say, I'd, Brian, I'd say it's very, very low. Okay. I, if I had to guess, I would say it it would be less than one deer per square mile. Gotcha. Yeah, and and I I that's just based on the numbers that I see, you know, traveling eight miles back and forth to work and and knowing where the local hangouts are. Um, you know, it might go up a little bit after the crops come out, but uh, for the most part, I mean, uh, we our deer density is nothing like what you guys see. So a lot of places out west, it seems like the residents aren't really in the whitetails too much. Is that do you see that being similar in Nebraska, or do you have some neighbors that are that are pretty serious whitetail hunters? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, they they hate whitetails. <laughs> no, they no, they and and rightfully so because you know what I've experienced in my five or six seven years living having a place up here. Um, the mule deer are relatively dumb, and, and you know they'll they'll bounce out a hundred yards from you and turn around and look at you, which is you know during rifle seasons that's pretty hard on them. Um, you know where a whitetail will cut and run and, and they won't stop till they hit cover. Um, so you know the mule deer population is definitely declining. Um, you know the biggest mule deer I have on the walls close to 200 inches, but he you know and and uh, you know, there's just not that caliber of deer around anymore. Um, you know, there's a lot of little three points and four points, and and the the whitetails are pretty aggressive, and we'll push them out. You know, one of the deer that are that's on my wall is a mule deer whitetail cross, and the gentleman that I had to do the scoring on that deer uh, scores in uh, I think 139 and change. Um, he stated that every time that they cross like that, there's some genetic they're, de- they're deformed genetically somehow, and this particular deer has about a two-inch horn growing out of the center of his bridge of his nose, um, and also some of the other things you can see is he's very gray in his in his hide. Um, he's he's uh, also you know his throat patch isn't isn't exactly square like the white tail would be, but they start out by looking like a uh, white tail. And then as they grow, as they get older, then they start taking on more mule deer uh, characteristics. So it's pretty pretty neat. But they do cross quite a bit, more than more than a guy thinks. Well, it's interesting you say that. My dad has a buck in his basement. Um, you know, his dad's muley from way back when. I forgot where he said he shot it. And uh, I'm like, that's a whitetail. He only has the rack. And he's like, no, it's a muley. I shot it. Trust me. I go, I know, but that rack is a whitetail. And he's like, you're full of it, so we go back and forth on it and joke around. But uh, I'm wondering if that could be a cross by by some sort or, or something like that. I don't know. 
All right, Chris. Well, you know the drill. You've been listening for a long time. You know the the favorite question that I ask at the end of every episode here. I got to know, what is your favorite tree? Well, I knew you were going to ask me this, so I, I've been preparing. Um, probably my my favorite tree is one that you, you may not have um, had an answer for yet, but uh, it's a Russian olive tree. It's a it's got to be a relation to the autumn olive, which is an invasive species, as you know. But out here, um, you know, they were brought into this country originally for hedge hedge posts, and and uh, they're really a hard, hard wood. But anyway, all um, winter, these deer out here just just thrive on those little those little Russian olives and the the woody brows from those trees. It'd have to be that. Okay, and uh, that is, I believe that is invasive and similar to autumn olive, but not exactly the same thing. But I tell you what, I have mixed results on, um, or mixed feelings on, on that autumn olive because deer around here, they love it, and it sounds like they love the Russian olive where you're at. So uh, even though it isn't invasive, it, maybe there's something better out there that, that could be planted. Um, but good answer. I like it. How much of that are yeah. you seeing? Are you seeing that in every road ditch and every fence row and every – you know, highway exit, are you seeing that stuff everywhere like it is here, the autumn miles? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's more in the in the low-lying areas, in the wet, you know, kind of the wet areas, uh, kind of the swampy cattail-type swamps. But um, I'm telling you, those those deer, they bed in it. They they feed in it. They If there's Russian olives around, I guarantee you there's white-tailed deer in there. Um, they they just, they, for whatever reason, they find it very, very comforting to be in. Yep, exactly. Again, you know, non-native or, or invasive, I should say, and uh, you know, people want to kill them. NRCS around here will will help pay to kill the automobiles. So, uh, you know, but it's interesting. So, nice choice. And I wanted to ask this question too. I haven't been asking this very much at all. Um, what would you say your most useful habitat tool is at your at your farm? Now, I didn't I didn't prep you on this, so total curveball. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I as I've spoke before, I, I make a lot of my own equipment, um, and and probably my my most important piece is my roller crimper that was basically a cultipacker. It's a single roll um, beet. They use it for sugar beets, but it's a it's an old beet packer, and I mounted that 55 gallon boom sprayer on it, and I can I can terminate all my bird food plots and and um and also and I use it to lay the grass down, you know, if I'm say I'm breaking a new plot, you know, for that fall. Um, you know, like th- I just did it this this last fall. I'd roll some some uh we have smooth brome grass out here and it's really hard to kill. But that then you're able to roll it down and spray it at the same time and I think it gets a better um contact with the leaf. So that would be my that would be my answer for my most important piece of equipment. Awesome. Solid answer. Solid answer. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you for, for coming on the show and taking the time here and uh great, great episode. And are there any final parting words you'd want to, you'd want to leave us with, you know, your, your uh, mission statement, if you will, or anything along those lines? Yeah. If, if, if I had a mission statement, it'd be to, uh, you know, I had a lot of people in my in my life bless me by taking me hunting and fishing, and and it's made a, a huge impact on my life. And and um, and I would I would ask you people out there to you know kind of take a kid under your wing, and and uh, even if he shows just a little bit of interest, you know, um, take him hunting or take him even fishing. You know, um, I, I working for the school, I've I've become rather active in the ag program, and and um, and I've had people out at my farm and kind of looking at plants and learning habitat and, and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, there's a lot of kids nowadays that don't have that influence in their life to, to you know, take them and do things in the outdoors and get them off the screen time, um, you know, off their phone. So that would be my mission statement is just to, you know, pass on pass on what what was the gift that I was given, that sort of thing. Well said. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I think once you start doing that to the 
the feeling that you get as uh, a gift giver, if you will, uh, is, is really, really awesome and, and makes you feel just grateful for having the, the upbringing that you did, right, where you're able to get out and do this stuff. And I, I've helped uh, two of my buddies and one random uh, person from the, the Field the Fork thing this year all kind of, you know, get their first year with me, and it is really rewarding. So I couldn't agree with you more, buddy. Well said. Nice job. Yep. Yep. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and you guys keep up the good work because I, you know, there's there's not another podcast out there that I enjoy more. And and I I keep hoping that you keep bringing the content because, you know, there's a lot of people who have learned a lot of things from you guys and, and your guests. I mean, to, to have the, the, you know, the diversified group of people that you've had on has really, really brought a lot to the to the habitat management side. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Truly appreciate that. No problem. Well, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Keep in touch. All right, buddy. Well, you call anytime. You're, and I'll, I'll keep, uh, I'll keep you up to date on the, on the new stuff I'm doing and stuff. It's pretty awesome. But anytime you come through town, I want you to stop. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras. The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com. Packer Max Cultipackers. Afflictor Broadheads. Killer Food Plots. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. And Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Yeah.